The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks looking to wrap up the week after another, another tough slide, and more losses could be on tap. Futures are right now pointing towards a lower open. Shares of FedEx tumbling as the shipping giant pulls earnings guidance and looks to cut costs with the company's CEO warning of the potential for a global recession. But it's not just FedEx facing those headwinds. Shares of General Electric also sliding as it warns of supply chain woes weighing on its bottom line. And pulling the plug, Kanye West talking with CNBC on his decision to terminate his big deal with Gap, what he had to say about that move coming up ahead, And your exclusive weekly look at the biggest insider buys in the market right now, including a first time for a C-suite purchase and the biggest buy seen so far. It is Friday, September 16th, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu, in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off this Friday morning with a check on the markets and your money. Futures right now pointing towards some losses at the opening bell. The Dow is implied lower right now by roughly 243 points. The S&P down by 37. And the Nasdaq continues to be the epicenter of so much of that selling pressure, implied lower by about 131 points right now. We also want to get a check on the bond market as well. Yields very much driving a lot of that macro big picture narrative in the marketplace right now. And those yields are ticking higher. The benchmark 10-year Treasury note yield, just about 3.47%. So right now, just a hair sitting right below the cycle highs that we've seen for that benchmark 10-year note yield. The two-year note yield, 3.90%, and the 30-year long bond, just a little below 3.49%. Turning now to the oil market, we've got some economic worries there. West Texas intermediate prices, somewhat stable, only down about one-tenth of one percent, about 12 cents to the downside, $84.95. World benchmark ice Brent crude futures, just about flat on the session, $90.83. And natural gas prices, down about 3% in trading right now. Checking on cryptocurrencies. After this week, of course, we completed that all-important, so to speak, merge in the Ethereum blockchain ecosystem. We've seen some selling pressure, though, on a sell-the-news type reaction. Ether prices continuing to slide nearly 3%, $1,457 there. Bitcoin prices off one quarter of 1%, now back below 20000 19718 Let's now go worldwide. Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with a look at the action overseas. And all I see is red, Juliana. Dom, that's right. It's red across the board. Overnight in Asia, every major region pulled back. The Shanghai Composite dropped 2.3%. The main benchmark in China suffered its worst daily fall in four months. This came despite some fairly upbeat retail sales data out of China. We saw some underperformance in the securities firms in China. Those led the losses. Here in Europe, much of the same story. It is red across the board. Every major region in Europe trading lower. We have bounced off the absolute lows of the morning. 
morning. The Zetra DAX was trading nearly 2% lower about 5-10 minutes ago. Now we're down about 1.7%. Uh, CAC 40 over in France down 1.5%. Just moments ago, we got confirmation of the Eurozone August inflation figures. CPI coming in up 9.1% year on year. So inflation continues to run hot here in Europe. Dom, you mentioned the FedEx profit warning sending shockwaves through U.S. markets. Here's a picture of some of the key logistics names in Europe. We are seeing heavy selling in these names. So that FedEx warning driving a huge amount of risk off in Europe. Royal Mail down 11%. So major moves lower in Europe. Dom? Juliana Tattlebaum, thank you very much for that. Checking one of your morning's big money movers. We mentioned here, and Juliana just did, shares of FedEx getting hit very hard after the shipping giant's announcement. It is withdrawing its profit guidance and implementing cost-cutting measures. Silvana Hinao is here with more details on that move and why it's roiling markets. Silvana. Dom, yep. So FedEx announcing it is pulling its full year guidance and implementing what it calls significant steps to cut costs over what it calls softness in global volume of shipments. The updates coming with the early release of the company's first quarter results, which were well off of analysts' expectations. Earnings of 344 per share, far from the 514 forecast. Revenue of $23.2 billion, also below estimates. FedEx cited specific weakness in Asia as well as challenges to service in Europe for its underperformance in the first quarter. Now, speaking with Jim Cramer on Mad Money last night, FedEx CEO said that he believes a recession is looming for the global economy. Of course, I'm very disappointed in in the results that we just announced here. And, you know, the headline really is the macro situation that we're facing. The U.S. consumer has, you know, definitely spending less. But, you know, the U.S. has been somewhat insulated because the U.S. dollar is, you know, is, a, is the currency of choice for the world. And there's some insulation there. But, you know, I do see the U.S. is slowing down, too. And when it comes to FedEx cost-cutting measures, the company says it will close 90 office locations, close five corporate office facilities, defer hiring efforts, reduce flights and cancel projects, Dom. All right, Silvana Hinao with the latest there on FedEx. Thank you very much. Back on Wall Street overall, all three indexes set to notch another losing week in what would be their fourth negative week out of the last five. The tech-heavier Nasdaq composite leading the charge lower, a potential catalyst for another choppy session today. We've got the quadruple witching day where stock index futures, stock index options, stock options themselves, and single stock futures all expire today. And, of course, it could lead to a volatile final, final hour, at least, of trading. Let's talk more about this with Robert Teeter, Managing Director and Head of Investment Policy and Strategy at Silvercrest Asset Management. Robert, the quadruple witching aside, it, it, it's just another thing that could cause the volatility. But this is an environment right now, and FedEx showed it last night, where people have to worry a little bit more about the bigger economic narrative. Is this a time to continue to worry about whether recession is inevitable? Right. Well, that's a great question. You're certainly getting squeezed from both sides with rates heading higher off the inflation fears, as we saw that slightly hotter than expected inflation number last week. And as you mentioned, earnings are getting called into question here. Um, We think earnings will still be positive next year, albeit a bit lighter than consensus forecasts have. But as you pointed out, some of the news is very mixed on the economy. So from the shipping sector you had, as the news you reported on FedEx there, uh, you know, lighter. Uh, You also have, as we've seen over the course of the past week, 
strong news on the consumer. So news out of the airline space talking about very strong demand. So it's a very mixed economy here. And I think different sectors are going through different parts, portions of the economic cycle. So, so the economic cycle is key here, Robert, right? I mean, w- when FedEx gives guidance like they did and the shares fall by 19 percent, that isn't just kind of idiosyncratic. That isn't just a, a, a kind of move up or down in the market for one stock. This is a re-rating, if you will, for FedEx overall. Is that think- re-rating going to happen now for the broader markets? Is FedEx a bellwether? A lot of people say it is. I, I think it very much is a bellwether, certainly traditionally. I think one of the things we've seen in this pandemic and post-pandemic economy is that different sectors are having different cycles. And so I do think the FedEx news is very important. I think it's a big tell as, as to regards to the importance of margins here. So I think the revenue miss was a little bit lighter than the earnings miss. Uh, not talking about the individual stock, but the macro read points to a very mixed economy. And so, again, some of the other news from the consumer side was a bit stronger. And I think that's indicative of this switch from goods to services, uh, from purchases of things at home. Companies are seeing a little bit less pressure on the supply chain, maybe shifting uh, consumption patterns a bit as well. And so it's a very mixed message on the economy. No doubt the news was not positive, uh, and it's certainly a tell on the importance of margins going forward, which we think is a company-by-company issue. Seeing what you've seen over the course of the last several weeks and maybe even months at this point, especially the longer medium-term downtrend that we've seen for stocks, certainly in 2022, with the benefit of hindsight and and your view of history and and your view as an investor, is this a time that that we retest the lows or, or make new ones because people are just a little bit more skittish and that we haven't really had a massive downturn in the market ex pandemic? Right. I I think it is a very cautious time here in that it's a very one dimensional market. And so we think everything is keyed off inflation here. If you get some easing of inflation pressures, uh, we do think that alleviates a lot of the pressure on the valuation side. But until that comes and until you get a couple of solid CPI reports in in a row, it will be a volatile market. So for those willing to look out a little bit further out into next year, uh, we think the economy will be okay, very slow growth. We think earnings will be okay, very slow earnings growth. Uh, and we do think that at some point here, we will get a couple of months in a row of easing inflation, which will ease pressure on valuation. But you're right, in the short term, it's a, it's a very cautious time, a very volatile time, because everything is keyed off of inflation here. All right, Robert Teeter, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Coming up thank on the you. show, when we come back, Uber revealing a data breach on its systems, the latest on what information hackers may have accessed. Plus, Diving into one of the worst performing sectors of the year, the challenges facing real estate and the stocks that could build some momentum. Plus, Apple fans preparing to get their hands on the newest iteration of the iPhone today. A look at whether the newest version of the smartphone will provide fresh momentum for the tech giant. Very busy hours still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. Let's check on the futures right now. We have the Dow implied lower by roughly 235 points. The S&P is implied lower by 35. And then you've got the Nasdaq, which has been, again, the epicenter of so much of this selling down uh, as well in in a big way. If you look at some of the laggards we have in the Dow right now, it is Salesforce. It's Boeing, Caterpillar, Amgen, and Merck. And, and Boeing and Caterpillar in particular, more economically sensitive stocks, down about one and three quarters percent. If you take a look at the overall picture for markets right now, as we have been seeing this weakening of the session so far, it's one of those instances where investors will be trying to figure out whether they want to enter this weekend a little bit tilted towards the downside or whether or not there's some stability that can be found after another week of selling pressure. Well, still on deck for the show, more on your morning's top stock story of the day. It's FedEx. Those shares losing about a fifth of their value tumbling following its decision to pull earnings guidance and embark on a cost-cutting plan. We talked to one analyst who thinks better days actually could be ahead for those shares. His take when we return. Today's big number, 80%. That's the anticipated drop in newly minted unicorns during the current quarter, compared to the same period last year, according to data by CB Insights. Just 27 unicorns are expected to be born this quarter, compared to 136 during the third quarter in 2021. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back. It's been one of the worst performing sectors so far this year. We're not talking technology, consumer discretionary or communication services, the epicenter of the fall. But it's real estate off more than 22 percent from this most recent 52 week high that we hit back in December. You've got names like Simon Property Group, Vornado, Prologis, Boston Properties, all down 28 percent or more this year. But your next guest says all is not lost. Joining me now is Piper Sandler's Alexander Goldfarb. Uh, Alexander, this is one of those scenarios where we understand when interest rates rise, it hurts real estate. But we we tend to look at it through the lens of residential real estate because we all buy homes with mortgages. But how bad has it been for commercial real estate? So first, thank you for having me on. Uh, Here at, at Piper Sandler on the REIT team, our view is that this is a replay of the 1970s. So you have basically a stagflation environment. You have a Fed that wants to uh, continue to raise interest rates to arrest inflation. When we looked at what happened in the 70s with real estate and what's happening today, there are some similarities. First, uh, supply is in check. So 
when you look around at the major property types, the availability rates of apartments, industrial, uh, retail are all very much in check. Second is that the REITs themselves, for the most part, have pretty good balance sheets. You highlighted some names like Vornado, which uh, is trying to you know, adjust its balance sheet, but obviously uh, wished it probably had a better position going into the pandemic. But when you look at the fundamentals, and I'll bring up retail because you have Simon on the screen, retail is actually in the best shape it's been in in over a decade. There hasn't been very much new supply in over 15 years. The retailers themselves have pivoted uh, from a decade of e-com only focus and are now investing in their store fleets. And what that has done for the landlords like Simon, like site centers, like Kite, like Kimco, is it has brought a lot of pricing power to the landlords such that they haven't had in many years. And that's resulting in increasing earnings and increasing dividends. Now, now Alexander, th- it's interesting only because we're just about two years removed from a time when all we could talk about was the death of commercial real estate, especially in places like retail, because nobody was going out during the virus pandemic. This was changing the paradigm of shopping. Nobody was ever going to go back into stores. We were all just going to have stuff delivered. And all of a sudden now FedEx comes out and says shipping volumes globally are down. And you're telling me that people are going back to malls. What gives? Uh, it's funny. It, it, it took a hundred year pandemic for the death of retail uh, to be firmly put into the ground. Uh, people were shopping the malls. People were shopping uh, shopping centers pre-pandemic. Uh, occupancy rates dipped a few hundred basis points. Uh, yes, rent growth definitely moderated, but it was in no way comparison to the 50% drop in the uh, in the stocks. Uh, when you look currently, uh, it's interesting because uh, e-com penetration has actually dipped. And I think what the pandemic showed is that people were trapped in their homes and the only sociable, acceptable place to go out was the shopping center. In addition, if you wanted a bottle of wine, if you wanted hand sanitizer, toilet paper, or whatever you needed to survive, you couldn't necessarily get it online because things were out of stock. And also people were looking for an escape. So everyone rediscovered their neighborhood shopping center. Overnight, curbside pickup became available. And what happened for the retailers is they suddenly realized after a decade of only focusing on e-com that the bulk of their sales still come from the traditional shopping center or mall and that they had better invest in their fleets. And unfortunately for them, but good for landlords, they hadn't been investing. And now they've done that 180. The other thing that's critical is we are way over retail. We have about 25 square feet per capita in the U.S. Canada's sure. around 10. Europe is somewhere around five. So we have way too much. So for every you know great story of the dying mall, you have a center like the Westchester. You have a center like Short Hills, which remain dominant. And all that they've done is they've consolidated their power. Right. And when you look at shopping centers, you know, I love industrial. Don't get me wrong. Names like East Group or Torino that focus on last mile, they are crushing it as far as rent growth and tenant demand. But the closest distribution point to a, uh, a household, like you mentioned, you know, we're all moving out to homes, is your neighborhood shopping center. So right. you look at a Kite, you look at a Kimco, you look at a Bricksmore site centers. These companies have centers that are right next to the people's gotcha. homes. And the retailers have realized that's the most efficient way to get product to their customers. An evolving landscape for sure. Location, location, location. Alexander Goldfarb, thank you very much. We appreciate it.
Thank you. Turning now overseas, celebrations honoring the life of Queen Elizabeth II will continue today ahead of Monday's funeral for the late leader. King Charles III set to take part in a service honoring the queen while thousands continue to view Her Majesty's coffin as she lies in state. Tanya Breyer joins us now from London with the latest there. Good Friday morning, Tanya. Good morning, Dom. That's right. Thousands of mourners are paying their respects to Her Majesty the Queen, who lies in state just behind here in Westminster Hall. And of course, what's happened now, so many people want to go and see Her Majesty, Dom. They've actually had to pause the queue. The queue is now up to 14 hours, and now they're pausing it for six hours while they catch up. Now, this morning, we've just heard also that tonight there will be a vigil. Uh, King Charles will stand guard in front of his mother's coffin with Princess Anne, Prince Andrew, Prince Edward, and tomorrow evening, the Queen's grandchildren, the Prince of Wales, Prince William, the Duke of Sussex, Prince Harry, and the rest of the grandchildren will also take part in a vigil in front of their beloved grandmother's coffin. And then, of course, on Monday morning at 6.30, they will close Westminster Hall to anyone being able to go in to view Her Majesty's coffin. And at approximately 10.35 British summer time, the gun carriage will go to the north door of Westminster Hall, where the Queen's coffin will be laid onto it and then proceed here to Westminster Abbey, just behind me, for the funeral. All right, Tanya Breyer in London with the latest there. Thank you very much. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest there. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Don. Good Friday morning to you. We now know who will review the classified documents seized from Mar-a-Lago. Judge Aileen Cannon named the special master in the case last night and shot down the DOJ's request to access the records as part of its criminal investigation. Judge Raymond Deary will serve as the arbiter. He will go, go through the trove of documents recovered from Mr. Trump's Florida home and determine whether any are protected by attorney-client or executive privilege. He has until November 30th to complete his review. The Justice Department has said it would appeal the ruling. The U.S. is providing Ukraine with an additional $600 million in military assistance. In a statement, Secretary of State Antony Blinken said the package includes additional weapons, ammunition and other equipment from U.S. stockpiles. Over to the sports world, a piece of Michael Jordan's last dance just waltzed into an auction block record. Jordan's jersey from Game 1 of the 1998 NBA Finals sold for $10.1 million at auction. So that makes it the most expensive piece of game-worn sports memorabilia. In that uniform, MJ scored 33 points in a win over the Utah Jazz. And it was the Chargers Chiefs in the Thursday night spotlight. Now, Justin Herbert had L.A.'s offense firing, putting a pass in place only Mike Williams could catch. The Chiefs battled back to even things up at 17. And then in the fourth, Jalen Watson with a game-changing house call and breaking the tie there. Watson took the interception 99 yards all the way for the go-ahead score. That put Kansas City ahead, and they'd hold off a late Chargers comeback to seal it. The Chiefs win it 27-24. to So for Friday morning, you are all set with those news headlines. Dom, sending it back to you. All right. Thank Francis Rivera. Thank you very much. Still on deck for the show here. Kanye West taking about talking about his decision to terminate his deal with Gap Stores. What the rapper told CNBC about walking away from that potentially lucrative partnership. And nearly 30 years after the original series ran, Quantum Leap is back. The new series premieres this Monday, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 p.m. Central on NBC. 
and streaming next day on Peacock, the streaming network. Quantum Leap, it's not Scott Bakula, but it's a revamp. We'll be right back after this. The renewed slide by stocks set to continue in what's been another volatile week for markets. Futures, as you can see, are pointing towards losses. Also deep in the red, shares of FedEx, that stock tumbling on pulled earnings guidance and new cost-cutting measures. We speak with one analyst on whether the shipping giant deliver, will deliver a win for investors over the longer term. And your exclusive weekly look at the biggest insider buys on Wall Street, including a first for these executive-level purchases. It's Friday, September 16th. We were watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan on this Friday morning. It's right around 5.30 a.m. Eastern time. And here's how the markets and your money are looking right now. They're not looking terribly well. The markets are pointed towards losses. The Dow implied lower by roughly 240 points. The S&P down by about 37. And the Nasdaq is down by about 132 at the opening bell if these moves hold into regular cash equities trading. Let's get a check on some of your morning's top stories right now. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Hi, Silvana. Dom, Uber says it is investigating what it's calling a cybersecurity incident. According to reports, the ride-hailing giant's network was breached and the company had to shut several internal communications and engineering systems as a result. The report says a hacker compromised an employee's workplace messaging app and used it to send a message to Uber workers announcing that the company had suffered a data breach. The hacker apparently also was able to gain access to other internal systems. Shares of Uber are lower amid the news. Shares of General Electric also falling ahead of the open after its chief financial officer issued a profit warning. The manufacturer's finance chief saying that supply chain challenges are making it harder to deliver products to customers on time. GE has faced ongoing shortages of parts, labor and raw materials. And Kanye West not holding back on his decision to terminate the contract between his company Yeezy and Gap. West, now known as Ye, telling CNBC's closing bell the retailer failed to meet its obligations in their agreement. Ye saying he was disappointed with some of the decision by Gap and progress on certain aspects of the deal. They have one individual on the planet that could save the Gap. Don't bring a leader in and have them not lead. Why, you know, why would I argue with people who are getting paid by the Gap? I'm sorry, you know, I'm not going to argue with people that are broker than me about money. Everyone knows that, you know, I'm the, I'm the leader, I'm the king, right? So uh, a, a king can't live in someone else's castle. A king has to make his own castle. Dom Ye says he plans to branch out on his own without corporate partners to move forward with his Yeezy brand. Interesting. We'll, yeah, we'll see if we see some stores in the malls now. Well, the shoes are still made by Adidas, right? So we'll see how exactly. that goes. All right. Thank you very much, Silvana. Now to the big money mover of the day. It's got to be FedEx. Those shares are tumbling as the company reported first quarter results a week early. And on top of that, they missed forecasts and the company pulled its guidance for the full fiscal year. FedEx is warning a slowdown in global demand accelerated at the end of August and is on pace to get worse this quarter. Speaking to Jim Cramer on Mad Money last night, CEO Rod Subramanian says he's particularly concerned about macroeconomic issues out of Asia. 
Asia is the center of manufacturing in the world. Right. So when you see these things happen, I feel it's leading indicator of something you know more profound, and that's why you know we we you know it's the we feel the macro. We you know we are the bigger player in in, in Asia, and so right. we things have we see things happen before others do, and that's one that's got me really concerned as well. Is what's happening in, in well, Asia. FedEx plans to aggressively cut costs by closing more than 90 FedEx office locations, five corporate offices, put off new hiring and operate fewer flights. So let's bring in Amit Marotra, transportation analyst at Deutsche Bank. You heard the comments. I'm sure you watched the interview on CNBC with Jim Cramer last night. Take us through whether or not this basically 20 percent move lower in FedEx is something where it's a re-rating of the overall macro picture because of what FedEx sees in terms of weakness globally. Well, good morning, Dom. Let me be very clear here. Um, you know, the earnings expectations for FedEx in the last 24 hours has effectively gone down by 40%. So even with a 20% move down in the stock, um, the stock relative to its earnings power is actually more expensive today than when it was prior to the close yesterday. Most importantly, we do not believe this is uh, entirely macro focused. We think a lot of this has to do with FedEx specific issues. Let me just give you uh, two numbers. Revenue was up in the company's express business, which is the key problem for this quarter and the next quarter's outlook. Uh, Revenues were up in that business but profits were down almost half a billion dollars. This uh, is indicative to me of of a situation where maybe some of the macro changed, but the company um, uh, did not do a good job of adjusting its cost structure in a more real-time fashion. And the last thing I'll say is I met with the CEO and CFO of UPS nine days ago, 10 days ago. They reiterated every aspect of their guidance Obviously, we're at Deutsche Bank. We have a lot of contacts in Europe in the partial industry. We don't believe that, um, you know, what um, what others are seeing is indicative of what uh, FedEx announced yesterday. So so this is interesting. What you're claiming is that these are company specific, maybe more idiosyncratic issues that are specific just to FedEx because you're not, at least in your opinion, in your mind, having spoken with a big competitor like UPS seeing the same kind of massive macroeconomic downturn signs that Raj Subramanian at at FedEx is seeing? No, well, it's true that, you know, FedEx has a a huge presence in trans-Pacific lift capacity. And and, and it's also true that we think FedEx leaned into the pricing opportunity that was created as a result of exiting of belly space capacity during the pandemic. So some of that's payback there. But let's be clear, you know, um, uh, in Europe, um, there's two other players that have a much stronger market position than FedEx does vis-a-vis FedEx's acquisition of TNT Express. I think in moments like these, um, stronger players get stronger and weaker players get weaker. And and that's what we're seeing play out. I think this is more a company-specific issue for FedEx than any macro. Listen, we're very close to every freight flow data point here at Deutsche Bank, rails, trucking, brokers. A marine demand is slowing for sure, but we're not seeing the collapse in pricing power because let's be clear: seventy percent of capacity in North America is trucking. Um, new trucks were not really produced. We haven't had the capacity creep on new trucks over the last two years that we ha- have had in prior up cycles. 
So the moderation demand, which we're seeing, we're not going to have a peak season, but the moderation and demand that we're seeing is sure. not relating to a collapse in pricing. Uh, I mean, before, before we let you go, given what you've seen in FedEx and the conversation you had with UPS, just, just in, a, in a few moments here, just, just give us what your top pick in transportation and logistics is. Well, I mean, so, so right now, um, you know, we've written a few notes more recently talking about chess versus checkers, where C- UPS is playing chess and FedEx is playing checkers. Um, the, the good news on, on FedEx is, is that it's so bad that it could actually be good in terms of um, making it clear to everybody that there is a dramatic overhaul needed at FedEx and, um, and UPS provided that roadmap. UPS's equity value has more than doubled since the pandemic under the new CEO, Carol Tomei. And I think that that's a really great roadmap for the new CEO of FedEx, a relatively new CEO of FedEx to follow this better, not bigger strategy and also dealing uh, a little bit more collaboratively with their contractor and ISP network, which has been a big source, I think, of market share losses very recently. All right. Amit Marotra, thank you very much. We appreciate the view on FedEx there. Coming up on the show, it's launch day for Apple's iPhone 14. We look at whether the tech giant's newest smartphone will yield big returns as it faces some of those growing macro challenges that we may have just referenced. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your weekly exclusive insider buying segment. And for that, we send it out, of course, to Brian Sullivan. Time now for your weekly exclusive insider buying segment, where we highlight the top five stocks being bought the most by their C-suite level execs with their own money. The info comes with our thanks to Verity Data. And this, my friends, is a very special week for three big reasons. Number one, it is the first week in a long time, maybe ever, that every single insider buy is more than $2 million. And even bigger, this is the biggest single insider buy that we have ever seen. In fact, it's about 10 times bigger than the next biggest insider buy we have ever brought to you. And it's also the first time that we have ever had back-to-back weeks with the same company and a different buyer on the list. Wow. All right, remember, we count you down in reverse order, five to one, so let's go. Stanley Black & Decker, a board member there buying $2.65 million worth of that stock. And $2.65 million is a lot of money, but it's the smallest insider buy of the week. Douglas Emmett. Does that sound familiar? It should. It was also on the top insider buy list last week. And now we have another insider buying, this time $6 million worth. Shares as California-based REIT are certainly one to watch. Two insider buys, different buyer, back-to-back. Third most insider buying is American Homes for Rent, another gigantic buy by a board member who's also the daughter of the founder. Her name is Tamara Gustafson. She added $15.4 million worth. That should also sound familiar because she bought nearly $28 million worth of AMH back in May at basically the same price. Now, those are some big buys, but the top two are even bigger. Here we go. Energy Transfer, ET. Founder and executive chair Kelsey Warren continues to pour money into his company. He bought another 3 million shares at 12 bucks a share for a total insider buy of 36 million bucks this week. Verity notes Warren has now bought 66 million worth of the stock just since late August. Now, on a normal week, 36 million would easily be the biggest insider buy, but not this week. That goes to Dustin Moskowitz, former Facebook bigwig and now the CEO of Asana. He bought, get this, $349.9 million worth of Asana in a private placement. Yep, 
nearly $350 million. That is easily the biggest insider buy that we have ever seen. And now with that, he has bought nearly $1.6 billion worth of his stock only since May. Shares are up 34% over three months, and this could be one big reason why. And he keeps buying at even higher prices. Wow. There you go. The name, Stanley Black & Decker, Douglas Emmett, American Homes for Rent, Energy Transfer, and Asana. And a friendly reminder, we try to do this nearly every Friday right here on Worldwide Exchange. You can also catch it on CNBC Pro. Sign up today. We'll see you next week. Back to you. All right, Brian Sullivan, thank you very much for that. We'll see you later on in the exchange. Uh, our thanks to Brian for that. Apple's iPhone now hitting store shelves today. The tech giant seeing strong demand with the launch of pre-orders last week. This despite issues around inflation and questions over the strength of the American consumer and perhaps even global consumer. Apple is also able to hold the line on rolling out price hikes for these popular devices. For more on what to expect, let's bring in Alex Kantrowitz. He's the founder of Big Technology. He's also a CNBC contributor. Um, Alex, uh, we've talked about these types of products as being either evolutionary or revolutionary. It's still important for Apple. It's a big part of their income stream. Should people be going out to buy this phone? Is it that good? I think we're going to see a lot of early adopters go out to buy this phone. Um, I think there's enough carrots in the new iPhone 14 that's going to make people who feel the need to get the new iPhone every one or two cycles go out and get it. Uh, the Dynamic Island's pretty cool. That new camera looks really nice. And it's also a little bit faster, though not that very much. I still think that this is a evolutionary versus a revolutionary device. I really like the way that you put it. So I think we'll see that early surge and early adopter interest. But the real question is going to be what's going to happen after that. You know, what's interesting, Alex, I, you know, we've been talking about this release for a while now, ever since kind of Apple rolled it out during their product launch and everything. And, and, and one person tweeted at me and, and basically said, hey, save your money. Wait for the 15. We expect better things coming out of that. So what's this kind of landscape that Apple has to navigate now with an inflationary environment, a, a consumer that's getting a little bit more discerning of how they spend their money? Do we think that Apple needs to position itself differently, given this kind of broader economic environment for phones? Or are people still going to go out and shell out, you know, a thousand plus dollars for a smartphone whenever it comes out? Yeah, I think it's funny that um, someone told you to wait for the 15. I feel like we've been doing that every moment since the 10, right? 10, and you're like, all right, let's wait for the next one, wait for the next one. You know, I, I'm on the 10. Is the 10 really that different from the 13 or 14? I don't think so. I don't feel the pressing need to upgrade, and I don't think a lot of people do. And that's why you have, you know, hundreds of millions of people holding on to two or three or even four-year-old iPhones. And that compelling event to upgrade just you know isn't there anymore. I think your your reference of the macro is is spot on, right? Is this going to be the purchase that people are going to make now that their money isn't going as far as it used to because of inflation? And maybe their portfolio is a little bit smaller because of the rising interest rates and the contracting margins. So these are going to be the, the key questions that Apple is, is going to face moving forward. Like I said, I think that early adopters are going to really like it. Um, but where the rubber meets the road really is what happens after that. And it's going to be very difficult for Apple to fight these macro conditions, no doubt. Now, Alex, the timing of these product launches is always very deliberate. It happens kind of right after school starts, the, 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 the pre-orders start up, and then the, the deliveries come in just the next few weeks after that. But it all positions itself for that all-important holiday shopping season. 
So what's the expectation in your mind about how these phones and the hardware that Apple announced will perform this holiday season, given that inflationary consumer environment? Yeah, I think, look, we, we still know that Apple always sells well. <laughs> no doubt about that. But this uh, holiday season is going to be tough for lots of consumer companies. And people are trying to figure out ways to, to save money, trying to fight, figure out ways to be a little bit more financially responsible. And if you're Apple, you're coming up against that like everybody else. Now, that being said, we are seeing this bifurcation of our economy, right? The luxury goods are always doing well. Um, staples, uh, companies like Target, Walmart, you know, sometimes they struggle in a hard time where, you know, where the richer segments of the economy aren't feeling it as much and still going out and buying the iPhone. So by typical standards, you say, okay, the iPhone is a luxury product. It's going to be okay. But we do know that according to some reports, the iPhone is now uh, the number one phone surpassing Android phones in the United States. So I don't think that it can continue to rely on that status of we're a luxury item. Our customers are going to be safe. Now it's exposed to the broader population and it's going to feel some of their pain as well moving forward. And I think that will extend into the holiday season as well. All right. Alex Kantrowitz, thank you very much on the, for the thoughts on Apple. We appreciate it. On deck for the show, another tough trading day taking shape. Veritas's Greg Branch lays out the key factors that he's watching ahead of this open where the Dow is implied lower by 265 points. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's dive into the market action for the S&P 500. With the downturn that we've seen this week, we are now roughly just 10% below the highs that we've recently hit kind of in the month of August, and we are just about 7% above the lows that we saw back in mid-June. So we're a little bit lower than that halfway point between that latest trading range we've seen. If you take a look at some of the moves from a more sector-type perspective, overall, the Dow Industrials, the S&P, and the NASDAQ are now all down over the last week between 4 and 5%. So it's been a rough one, and it's come more so in just the last couple of days. Sector-wise, it has been energy, by the way, as the only, only positive sector over the course of the last kind of week or so. And even then, on a one-week basis, it's not been that, that positive here. The S&P 500 down 5%. The real estate sector is down 7%. But technology is the worst one out there. For more on the trading day ahead, let's bring in Greg Branch, managing partner at Veritas Financial Group. He's also a CNBC contributor. Uh, if you talk about the overall picture... There is one where technology is obviously the talk of the town right now. It's the most important sector out there, and it's gotten hit the worst. Is this a time now that that worries you because that all-important sector is the one that's the worst performer out there? No, it doesn't worry me. And and quite frankly, um, it's it's to be expected. And, And quite frankly, I think that we will retest the lows that we saw in June, if not uh, see levels a little bit uh, less than that. And there are three reasons why. Number one, uh, we are embarking on a quantitative tightening program that is a lot more aggressive than we've seen in the previous months. And that's going to drain liquidity out of the system and put pressure on equities. Number two, estimates need to come down. We're looking at about 60 in the back quarter. We're looking at about 246 in consensus for 2023. And both of those are, are significantly over where I think we'll actually see estimates come in. And so in the midst of that downward revision cycle, particularly as we start to look at 2023, 
uh, you'll obviously, uh, that'll be a headwind. And the last is that for whatever reason, uh, we continue to debate what the Fed is going to do. And I think that they've been quite clear about what they're going to do, particularly in light of the persistence of the inflation we're seeing. They think that the right policy rate is around 4% on the Fed funds rate. So that implies another point and a half. We could very well see a full point in September as they try to move that forward uh, rather than have this creep into next year. So all three of those things will continue to put pressure on the markets. And I think we will retest those lows. It's fair, it's fair to say, Greg, that, that many of these economic stories and, and, and market-specific and company-specific stories are all intertwined in some way. But, but in your mind, I'm curious whether, whether or not you feel as though the bigger threat from the interest rate picture is on the valuation side, the mathematical side of things, or whether or not it's because higher interest rates will inevitably slow down the overall economy, which hurts just about everyone. I think there's a threat from both, quite frankly, and, and as you intimated earlier, growth, particularly non-profitable growth, but all growth, uh, will feel the ramifications more so than the rest and have already been feeling those ramifications as the market came to a consensus that we're going to see uh, 75 bips, if not more. Uh, but, but yeah, I think the threat is to both. You know, Obviously, the Fed doesn't have a precise formula. They are reacting to, to uh, lagging in- indicators to some degree. And they're trying to get it right. I believe that will be difficult to do. So it's both. You'll have the uh, decreased liquidity effect, the access to credit effect, as well as the slowing economy effect. All right. Let's talk about the ideas now. Given that, given that economic environment, given that outline, the outline that you've kind of put out there for us, right. what exactly is the opportunity? What's on the shopping list or, or what are you staying away from? You look for two things. You look for inelastic demand and secular tailwinds. In terms of inelastic demand, things like hospitals, things like energy, regardless of what kind of macro environment we're in, regardless of what kind of economy we're in, those things tend not to see their top lines suffer. Even some mobile, right, like T-Mobile, Verizon, AT&T, although there's a vast uh, value disparity between those, those are safe havens. The other thing you're looking for is secular tailwinds, things that are tethered to changes that can sustain earnings growth, even in a challenging macro environment. And so there are some tech names, particularly those tethered to the cloud that will continue growth. There are some even some credit card names, although I'm, I'm very cautious on the consumer in the back half, we have this transition of going from paper to plastic. And so you'll, you've seen the credit card companies do very well during the summer of spend, and that should continue for a few months here. All right. Greg Branch with those ideas on what to do in this kind of environment. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend, Greg. You're welcome. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Markets right now are pointing towards losses at the opening bell. The Dow's implied lower by roughly 230 points. The S&P down by 35. And the Nasdaq down by 125 points as well. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. We'll see you on Monday. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.